Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. Good morning. Hello, Lawsy. Hello, how are you? I am good because the sun is shining and it always gets me in the bestest mood. How are you? I'm the same. It makes mm. the biggest difference when the sun is out. Mm-hmm. And we are getting closer in Victoria to stage four being over. Mm-hmm. So we I hope. do. I feel like we're like over a hump now and it's like, I don't know, I'm finally excited. But trying to not get too excited because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 100%. So this week you mm. need to share your special share with me okay. and the audience. Like I do every week. <laughs> True. <laughs> sure, I can go first. Okay, so my special share this week is actually something that I try and do every year, but because we possibly only have, you know, maybe a month or so left of restrictions and downtime and, and lockdown and everything, I'm going to make the most of this time that I have up my sleeve to do my annual Christmas cards. And it's my special share because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there. I, I love receiving cards, but I love making them and giving them the most. And I know that there's other people out there as well who loves writing cards and stuff like that. But um, with this extra time up your hands, it is probably a a really nice little ISO thing that you can do for yourself and for others um, and get crafty. And it's just fun. And I always found like every year when I got into a really good routine of doing it, I got so lost of time when I was doing it, like I lost track of time because I enjoy it so much. So I've decided that that's what I'm going to do for the rest of however long we're going to be in lockdown for um, and make some cards for everyone. So that's my special share. I love that because I think is it the past two or three years you, I mean, you used to always do it and then you Mm -hmm. haven't had time. Yes. Yeah. The last two years I've had a bit of help (laughs) um, and haven't done them myself, but yeah, this year I'm, I'm pretty keen. I haven't worked out yet though. Like I used to be, it used to be like very um, particular, you know, if I was drawing one for you, then I'd like find out your favorite character or like I'd draw it to match you. And, you know, like I was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was like unique to the person who was receiving it. But this year I think I'm going to draw like two or three different kind of designs and then just get them printed, I think. Well, it's nice you're making the effort and to be thinking about Christmas in August is very impressive. So well done. <laughs> I just, well, it's just because I have been upset the last two years when I have not mm. done it. Um, and I just thought, you know what, I've got some extra time. I don't want it to get to the end of the year again where I'm going to regret not getting it done. So that's what I'm going to do. What's your special share? Love it. Mine is, I've got two. One's really quick. Mm. The first one is a food special share. It's boiled eggs on toast. Haven't... Random. I know, but I just got back into it and it is very underrated. It is so delicious. That's the first one. Second one, oh, with lots of salt and pepper. Second one. Can I add yes. to your special share? So my favourite way to have boiled eggs and toast, which is actually I'm, I'm planning to do it today, is um, soldiers, eggs and soldiers. Oh. It's the same meal, but it just makes it so much more fun. I feel like I overboil my eggs, so I can't do soldiers. Uh, I like a bit mm. of a harder yolk. Yeah, right. Anyway. Anyway, my, moving on. My actual <laughs> special share is Sex and the City. So I have never watched <laughs> Sex and the This is another, you know, back to the whole thing of I had a deprived childhood of television shows. <laughs> um, I had a great childhood, but just didn't watch a lot of TV. So I never watched Sex and the City the actual show I've only watched the movies 
And so... Oh, my... Really? Yes. This is why I'm watching it. When you it. said you were watching it, I was like... Because I know a lot of people who have watched it, but maybe not watched it from the very beginning to the end. But I didn't realize you just like hadn't seen the episodes. I have. I probably watched wow. in my life maybe five episodes, but I wow. obviously just random mm. ones that happen to be on TV or something. So I am very excited because we're up to season. Dalton's watching it with me. I mean, <laughs> Love that. why not? He loves New York, so he's happy. Um, and then, yeah, so we're up to, I think, season two, but I really like it. You can have it on. And it kind of makes you feel happy and you don't really have to think. And if you... It's a good show. Tune out and then tune back in. You didn't really miss much. So... Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of like Friends where, you know, I can go back and watch like any episode of Friends from any season and enjoy watching it even if it's in the wrong order. Exactly. Mm. Good one. Thank you. So <laughs> what... You have got an announcement oh, well, for us. We do. We do actually. This is... Um, kind of like a kick special share as a whole. Um, so Are You OK Day is coming up on the 10th of September, guys, and we decided to do something and raise some money for that really important cause. So we've decided to do a virtual fun run whilst, you know, we've still got a lot of restrictions and everything. We thought this was the best way to kind of encourage everyone to support the cause and get active because for us and our community, you know, being active, um, whether you're doing it with friends or alone, it's such a good way to clear your mind um, or to check in with yourself. And then when it is with others or you're connecting with others over Zoom in these times, which is the norm, um, it's just a really good way to kind of keep each other accountable and, and feel good. So we decided to run a virtual fun run, which will be coming up this Sunday, the 6th. So if you'd like to join us, make sure you um, do a fun run in your area. It's going to be a 5K fun run. You can walk it, you can run it, um, obviously within the restrictions that we have. And we will be donating up to $20,000. So we have a goal of about 400 of you guys and we'll be donating $50 per person. So if you are going to join us, make sure you tag us on social media, um, maybe reshare something from your run tracker or just a smiley photo at the park anything you want honestly it's just a really important cause that we're really keen to um get you guys involved with and we're just super excited about it it should be it should be a lot of fun yeah and it is such an important day and the theme of this year's are you okay day is there's more to say after are you okay which especially during this time mm -hmm. is so important and so it's all about focusing on building confidence and increased skills for people so they know how to navigate a conversation with someone in their life who may be struggling because I think that is actually such a hard thing mm. to consider and do and I think that might be a reason why so many people don't ask the question because if the answer isn't I'm good we actually don't know what to say so we love this year's um, cause and yeah we're so excited and we love running so <laughs> and walking <laughs> and anyway so now for this week's guest Steffi who have we got today? Yes, so excited about this chat. It was such an awesome chat. So we've got Marley Silva, which if you guys don't know Marley, she's a 24-year-old Galmilaroi Dungadi woman. And she's an author from Titter, My Sister, Stories of Strength and Resilience from Australia's First Women. She's also a podcast host of Always Was, Always Will Be, Our Stories, which is Aboriginal-owned, led, recorded and edited. And she is honestly such a pleasure to chat to. Agree. I absolutely loved having this 
convo with Marley. We spoke about issues that are so important in society mm. and something that as two white women, we have got so much to learn. And so it is so kind of Marley to give her time to us and mm. have this conversation. We spoke a lot about how to be a good ally, what she's faced uh, up against mm. with racism and how she's had to deal with that and what we can do to change and how important our voices are in change as well. So we hope mm. you enjoy this conversation. Marley is just for her, like she is 24 years old yeah. and she is so well-spoken. She's so inspiring and we really hope you enjoy this. Marley, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We're so excited to talk to you today. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm equally, if not more, excited to be on. <laughs> We've just had a bit of a catch up before we got on here. And also, we just wanted to say the biggest congratulations mm. on your book. We saw you, you signed 1,500 copies yesterday. Yes. And that's a really intimidating like room to walk into, literally like piles past my face. I was like, uh, can my so hand incredible. actually do that? <laughs> How long did it take? Like three hours. And mm-hmm. I had like team members from my publishing house to like help me and that actually made it quite fun. And I kept going, I can't believe this is real life. Like people actually want my signature. That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> so exciting. When When is the book coming out? So in September, like the... You can order it on Booktopia and it comes out like September 2nd then, um, which is like so perfect because my birthday is the 15th of September. So it's like a turn 25 and have my book out. Like so crazy. Amazing. And we wanted to start the podcast with a very simple question that I suppose isn't as simple in 2020. Um, And that is how are you going at the moment? Um admittedly the last couple of days have been really rough mm-hmm. um it, you know I took last week off work uh to try and rest and rejuvenate um which you know I've been working six sometimes seven day weeks because that's what happens when you start working for yourself I'm sure you mm-hmm. guys know that also think that it's important to to use this as an opportunity to talk about it's it's okay to feel a bit crap and Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. to have those cries and whatever I mean especially the state of the world I feel like there's been plenty of moments Mm -hmm. where you just kind of want to go oh why what's the point can't we go back to 2019 Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah I've seen all these memes about like when we were all at New Year's Eve celebrating 2020 you know going into (laughs) a new year it's like what was the point let's take us back (laughs) let's go back Um, and before we got on this podcast, we had a little chat um, and you you said similar things in, in that you haven't really been feeling, um, you know, like everyone going through all the emotions during this time, particularly with things like COVID. And you actually gave yourself permission to feel those feelings, regardless of knowing your position and knowing that, you know, you have got some great things going on. It is still OK not to be OK. And I just thought that was so good mm. that you said that. Mm. And I find I have to say it out loud to remind myself because mm-hmm. I think we're all our own worst critics. And you, yeah, I found myself like, you know, catching myself going, oh, you're not allowed to feel like this, Molly, or like get over it or whatever. But um, the more I say it, the more I get better at doing it. So, and I recommend a lot of other people to think the same. Absolutely. We would love to kind of rewind the tape back to your childhood. Could you let us know? Um, what it was like growing up in Australia as an Aboriginal woman and and just tell us your childhood experiences that you can remember. 
Yeah, so, I mean, my earliest memories of growing up um, all have to do with rugby league, which is sounds strange, but it's because my dad was a professional rugby league player. Um, so I, you know, if I think really far back, I remember being in stadiums and hearing people <laughs> scream and, um, you know, also being locked up in a crèche when my mum didn't want to have to deal with me in a game <laughs> and things like that. Um, but, you know, like that that was such you know, it's such an incredible space mm. to kind of grow up in for the, up until I was, you know, uh, in kindergarten. That that was my life, watching, like, d- having people know dad's name, mm-hmm. which was really weird and um, all that sort of stuff. But it definitely shaped um, my early years, uh, you know, b- after he retired even, because you kind of are, are known as Rod Silver's daughter and um, there's still a lot of hype that sits around the kind of mild celebrity that he had. So, um I, I mention that always because it gives context for how things sort of started to change the more that we moved away from that. Because I think in Australia, um, if you ask most people to name an a- Aboriginal person, they are an athlete um, because mm. that's where we kind of are most um, prominent and most present. And, you know, people um, know the names of a, an Eddie Betts or a Buddy Franklin. Um, I say that because I know you guys are Melbourneites and it's <laughs> more relevant to you. Um, but, you know, rather than a lot of the people that I know now, but once we kind of moved away from the the footy world and just got back to normal life, that's when I started to realise that um, being Aboriginal was really different um, to the people around me. And in primary school, it wasn't a big deal. Kids kind of thought it was cool. Um, I remember being at the Royal National Park, which is close to where I am. So I grew up in um, the Sutherland Shire near Cronulla Beach, which is a place that a lot of people know um, mostly because of race riots that happened here in the early 2000s, which also paints a really interesting context. I think it was very rare to see any kind of person of colour growing up, let alone other Aboriginal people. Um, But yeah, at that time, it it wasn't a big deal. We went, I remember this excursion at the National Park once where the ranger was an Aboriginal man and the the teacher kind of pushed me to the front being like, oh, this is our Aboriginal student, whatever. Um, but it turned out he was from the same community my pop was from and oh. he was like, oh, I'm your uncle. And that to me is really normal. Like, I go, oh, cool, like, whatever. And all the kids are like, what, it's your uncle? And I'm like, oh, like, I can't really explain it, but, yeah. you know, uncle, is it's a different thing to what it means to you or whatever. <laughs> but it was it was celebrated by my peers then. And I think when you're younger, those things, they're not political. It's just like, oh, that's cool. It's like our other friend who's of this background. Or, well, I had Greek friends who made, you know, brought in stuff for Greek Easter and everyone was like, woo, like that was mm-hmm. all it was. Um, but when I got to high school is probably when things changed. And I don't know if the world was changing at that time too or, um, you know, when you're a teenager, you listen to to your parents more and you start regurgitating a lot of the stuff that they say um but you know in my first four weeks of year seven my dad picked me up from school one day um and actually it was raining so he got out of the car and um, brought me an umbrella to the school gate which was very sweet but he was also in his pajamas um because he <laughs> is a shift worker and had been sleeping and also has no shame um and Oh, you know. most dads, most dads <laughs> yeah, don't. Most That's dads, such yeah. a dad, dad moment. Yeah. You know, and, and I was embarrassed because he was in his pyjamas, but I didn't really think that much of it until the next day when a peer of mine asked me my, why my dad was black. And I'd never heard someone be called a colour. And so many 
times kind of in my life I've realised that I grew up in a bubble big time. My family, extended family, is not even just diverse in, in being Aboriginal, but I have lots of different family members from different parts of the world and also um, was just a, around, I think, a more realistic picture of what society is actually like than a lot of my peers. So, you know, just we saw stuff and accepted it as normal and and other kids didn't. So that causes conflict straight away. And um, after that, I, it, you know, it took me a while to figure out why this person had asked why my dad was black or what black even meant. And it occurred to me that it's always because he's Aboriginal and I explained that. And then it sort of caused well you don't look Aboriginal or I've never met an Aboriginal person before and then there's a lot of stereotypes that come up with that and that's the first time I realised that being a blackfellow was really different to to anyone and you know it's not like I I was never you know loud or proud about my identity I always had been I just never had pushback it was kind of like mm-hmm. oh yeah the, my mob's from Camilla and Dungutty and kids are like yeah cool pass me the footy like that was literally it and mm-hmm. then um, this is where things change and then that's when teachers started to get involved in conversations and um, even push some of their own stereotypes onto me and, and pointed me out in class when we talked about things and you kind of had to make a choice at that time because of what I look like and I have light skin it's, it's an awful thing to say but you you kind of have to make a choice of whether you sort of go through life kind of coasting along and not saying much and not standing out and kind of just passing or I could be loud and proud about my culture and use it as an opportunity to educate people. And I chose the latter, which was definitely the harder path because it it meant I came up with a lot, you know, a lot of opposition or um, just a lot of questioning, a lot of disbelief that I was really Aboriginal or, um, you know, that the stereotypes that I would call out that people put on me were were not true and, and things like that. And then, you know, the end of my schooling was when the Adam Goods um, saga really unfolded and that had a really big part to play as well. Mm. It just, all of that really shaped me into being someone... Um, that, you know, no matter what it was that I was going to do, it was always going to be dedicated to um, giving back to my community or, or using the skill set that I have, which happens to be storytelling, to, um, yeah, like promote promote Aboriginal culture. And, and I'm so lucky to be able to do that now and kind of never thought it would look like what it does, but <laughs> that's how it's all, all sort of just, you know, gently pushed me on this path. How does it make you feel to be called not black enough? I I know you've Mm. spoken about that a lot. It's just something, it's so crazy that people make the, would say that and and think in their mind that it's okay for that to come out. Is that something you've always dealt with, Mm. especially with what you do every day? Yeah, I think uh, it's probably the thing that I've received the most from non-Indigenous people and Aboriginal people. Mm. Um, It's something that hasn't been fully decolonized because it what it comes from and what people don't realize because there are have been instances where people genuinely don't understand like if me asking you how much aboriginal you are or um you know acknowledging the fact that i do have a white mother why that's you know offensive or not right and what it actually comes from is from the attitudes that cause the stolen generation and that you know if a child was mixed um or if you start talking about blood quantum and how much aboriginal is in you what it was actually referring to is how much um 
you know, a certain person could be accepted in society for how much white they have in them. Um, and and it's it's just like a really toxic thing. And I think that, um, you know, I, I'm lucky to I have met a lot of Aboriginal leaders who, who have really beautiful ways of putting it. Like, you know, we've been around for over 60,000 years. Our identity is a little bit more sophisticated than just skin colour. And it's about connection. It's about family. And, yeah, it's... It, it still hurts. Like it happens mm. quite often. And I, th- I think, <laughs> you know, I remember being a teenager and kind of getting quite emotional and sort of yelling at people. I'm like, you don't understand. I can't show you how I feel inside. And I feel, you know, all my ancestors in everything that I do. And it's such a privilege to be able to feel that and, and have that guide me. And, you know, I wish you... <laughs> weren't so obsessed with what I look like um Mm. and it's it's and that's not to say there there are definitely um obviously the things that I I haven't had to face because of what I look like and there are rooms I've been in that I've been allowed in because I have light skin which is sickening and I there's so much that you know um my Aboriginal brothers and sisters who have dark skin face that makes me sick and I've seen it with my cousins and I've seen it with my dad um but yeah and in the same way like that none of them should be judged for their skin color no one should um but you know it doesn't take away from my identity I guess it's it's a really complicated one um Mm. and it's one that you know I think in general society though you look away from just my community the whole world is so obsessed with what we look like it's not completely surprising I think it exists everywhere Mm. and touching on your identity we would love for you to talk to for us what does it mean for you to be an Aboriginal woman so my cultural identity coming from Gamilaroi and Dungadi people um my family everything that the people who've come before me have gone through is so integral to my identity. I don't know who I am away from it. Um, I, yeah, I, it's funny because I was literally talking to my mum about this just yesterday because of everything that's kind of happened over the weekend and, and getting quite upset because I, I really, I don't know who I am if I'm not Aboriginal and, um, I'm, I'm so proud of it. And I think what it means is connection. It means, strength and resilience and it also means kindness and generosity that's that's really what's at the root of our culture and I think that a lot of the time in the messaging that happens in mainstream media that that's lost because I don't know the the ways that we've been spoken about rather than had the space to speak of ourselves um, for such a long time has just missed who we really are you know we traditionally didn't have you know chiefs in tribes there wasn't just one leader like everyone's voice matters and that's a really beautiful thing that I think you know is so important now and it's all about caring and it's even the ways that um with our families like your aunties are as much your mum as your mum is and your uncles are your dad as well like we we really just care about each other and want to see each other prosper and, and that's the thing that is so beautiful I'm so grateful for and um yeah I I love being Aboriginal um there you know there's definitely things that I wish didn't happen or I didn't have to face because of my cultural identity and I I hate 
so many of the statistics that still um, hang over us. But, you know, that's that's because of other stuff that's gone on. It's not because of who we are inherently without this sort of discrimination lying on, on top of us. So it's um, I'm, I'm also incredibly proud of of the like the history of this country mm-hmm. right like not not the from the point of invasion that's just a tiny bit on mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the timeline it's literally 60,000 years we've been doing this for so long we've the way we looked after country everything that we've kind of you know dealt with and, and the fact that we're you know our people have the oldest man-made structure in the world in Bree Warner with the fish traps like things like that we were the first astronomers the first bakers like that stuff is so incredible and it's what I want non-indigenous people to know because you have you can be proud of that as well like that's mm-hmm. that's real Australian history like that's what it's about so um that it means yeah it's a tough question to ask what does it mean to you because it's everything um but it's uh yeah it's it's pretty amazing as well uh it's so beautiful even just watching you talk um about your heritage and how proud it it truly is really inspirational and i think i find it all so fascinating um that you're so connected you know to your ancestors and and history and everything i it's just incredible to me and it is interesting isn't it with the whole you know how much of a part of history you've been it's it's crazy I remember when I was over in the states um because you know I feel like in Australia when we were growing up in in primary school or even high school there's definitely not enough of our own Australian history taught in schools Mm -hmm. that's for sure because there's so much that I've learned as an adult that I'm like why wasn't this in our history classes why were we learning so much about you know the rest of the world (laughs) and not enough about our own country um but even over there in America you know they it's like they honestly think Australia has zero history that it's a young country and there's no history to it it's like what how do you not know this stuff so Mm. I just I can't believe that um, you know, it's it's not educated enough all around the world because it is so incredible when you do learn more and more about it. And it is really beautiful to see how proud you are of it. But have you ever felt the pressure? I mean, you said when you were a kid in primary school, it was almost like cool or just like another thing and kids didn't really think much of it. But has there ever been a point in your life where you hid or you felt, or you felt pressure to hide your culture or your identity or your heritage in any way? Um, I've definitely never hidden it, but I've been in rooms where I'm scared and I feel like a fly on the wall and I feel like I'm not supposed to be there. And strangely, that happened at university quite a few times because, um, and I think it's interesting, you know, you mentioning that at school we don't learn that stuff and it's because our education system hasn't changed since the Industrial Mm. Revolution and it's very heavily influenced by Britain right Mm -hmm. and then it's just we've never stepped out on our own and tried to create something for ourselves which I think is such an incredible opportunity and something we need to do and it also expands into tertiary education um you know my first couple of lectures at at uni a nice 8am one on a Monday I remember this one I loved that um they I was doing creative arts um and uh, Aboriginality was one of the creative lenses that we were learning about one week. And I remember walking into the lecture theatre and seeing the Aboriginal flag up on the screen and kind of just having this weird, oh, what is mm. going to happen kind mm. of feeling in my gut. And you kind of just go, okay. And this is definitely um, something that happened because of what happened to me in high school. So often, you know, we'd be in PE and they start talking about, um, you know, 
traditional Aboriginal games or something or you'd be in science and we talk about health statistics and, and things like that, the second that anything Aboriginal was raised, the whole class would turn to look at me. Obviously, I was the only Aboriginal kid in my year. Um, and, and then there's a lot of pressure there and, and I had just kind of essentially like trauma from, from teachers calling me out in class and me feeling inadequate or me having kids say awful things to me. So I walk into the lecture theatre, see that, and I'm like, okay, maybe they got a guest lecturian who's Aboriginal and maybe it'll be okay. Of course they didn't. Um, this The same guy who'd been teaching us the whole session came out and the entire lecture, he spoke of Aboriginal people as if we were in the past or that we weren't present or that we didn't come to university and didn't acknowledge once that there could be Aboriginal students in the room. And that happened a couple of times at uni if anything to do with you know aboriginal australia was raised in classrooms you know it it changed a little bit later on because um you know i started kind of getting a little bit of a profile within the uni doing a whole bunch of stuff i was working for an aboriginal charity at the time um and that people started kind of knowing who i was and then again the same thing would happen everyone would turn and look at me like the old days but um for, for at least the first two years, there was a lot of othering, a lot of like we weren't really mm. there. And, and a couple of those lectures, I just felt like I, I think I even wrote a poem about it, about being a fly on the wall and, and feeling like I was spoken about, like I didn't really exist. And then being very aware of myself, but also feeling like I was an undercover agent and, and sort of this is how people talk about us when we're not here. That's what it felt like. And um yeah, I would. I never hide it, and but it was just in you know a, a lecture hall with four hundred people in there. You, mm. you, you know, I thought about wearing no my Aboriginal flag. Up. You know, I thought about wearing the shirt as I came into class <laughs> the next time, but um, you know, I didn't. And and it was just at eighteen in a completely new um, environment, mm. trying to settle into uni. Quite similarly to how in Year Seven was the first time I sort of realised I was different. I was like, oh man, I thought like. You know, unis were progressive and it wasn't going to happen, but it's not the case. That's it. Mm. And it's like, you know, you shouldn't have to be the one, you know, you shouldn't have to put up your hand as an individual to hope that a, a uni lecturer wouldn't speak exclusive, like exclusively, you know, everything mm. should just be inclusive always because you never know who's sitting in the room. So it exactly. just, yeah. I, I, I'm hopeful that things are, are changing though. So I was at one uni for my undergrad and then I went to a different one for my honours and that was a whole different ball game. Um, they have, uh, so this is UTS, so the University of Technology in Sydney. When I moved there, I was like, oh man, why was it I here always? Um, but their vice chancellor has actually made a commitment to embedding Aboriginal knowledges in every single subject, regardless of what you do. And he's not Indigenous and he's just like a cool dude. And I was like, okay, it's not everywhere. It's getting better in some places, but it's just like, it was, yeah, so hectic. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, I feel uh, in a lecture theatre with 400 people, even if you know the answer and you know you're right, you didn't put your hand up. So, I, you know, it's so daunting to, to even say, to be able to say anything. So I, I can't imagine what that would have been like. And something you touched on before and you have spoken a lot about is how um, you were a victim, and, and I mean, you still are to racism, um, especially from your younger years at school. Mm, yeah. I, I think the hardest thing with racism in our, in our society, and I know something you've also spoken about is how sometimes your teachers would say racist things and they probably didn't even know they were racist because no one's ever told them they weren't. And 
I think it's just so important that, that we speak about these things because then people can learn what's right and what is wrong, even though I'm so sorry that they don't know yeah. what is right and what is wrong because they should. Are you able to touch on some of the experiences you've had um, with racism and what we can do to stop it? Mm. I think that um, you're so right that we in Australia are very good at letting casual racism happen because mm. ra- being called a racist or calling someone a racist is sometimes seen as worse than actually being racist. I mean, we saw this with Carrie Ann Kennelly and Yumi Steins last year, right? Mm. Um, with that whole situation, Yumi was seen as the villain for calling her a racist rather than the comments that were made. And that to me, I think was a perfect example of so much of what I'd seen growing up. And, um, you know, we also talk a lot about the difference between, you know, it's not enough to just not be racist, but you have to be anti-racist and you have to be Mm. calling out these behaviours. You know, I, again, I was reflecting on this recently because I think, you know, I've just been thinking about a lot of stuff that has really shaped who I, I am now. And in year eight, in my science class, there was one boy who was hell-bent on making me miserable. Um, and every single day in class, and I don't even know how this happened. I just, I don't even know. I think I just started doing the acknowledgements of country at school assemblies. So um, the protocol is that the oldest Aboriginal student um, does that at its school assemblies and um in year seven there was one other aboriginal guy who was in year 12 so when i got to a year eight and my sister was in year seven i was the oldest one there um and i started doing them and i think it was that that point that a lot of people kind of were like oh you're aboriginal and all those sorts of questions kind of came up again and this kid every single day i got to science class he would greet me with a new joke about aboriginal people that he'd found they were vile, like really disgusting. Like, what do you call an Aboriginal person who does this? Like that kind of style of of joke. And every single day he'd have a new one. And then his little group of mates in the back would laugh about it. And then they'd, you know, look up for the next day one because, and they would, they loved it because I'd always react. But of course I was going to react, but, you know, and I think after a while, you know, I'd just be like, you know, tell him to shut up or be like, you don't know what you're talking about, whatever, whatever. And it got to a point where it really broke me. And I remember crying in class. I remember saying stuff to my teacher who kind of just told me to ignore it or move to the front of the room and things like that. And, um, you know, it was relentless. And that was, that was the worst example that, you know, that sort of happened. And then it got to the end of the year and he knew he wasn't going to be in my class that a year after. So he's like, okay. I remember him like stopping me before the end of class once and being like, look, um, you know, this is it. This is the end of our like classes together. Um, I, I want to apologize for all the jokes that I've said this year. Um, so like, can you meet me at lunch? And I was kind of like, oh, wow. Like he's had this change of heart, me being naive and whatever, being like, okay, cool. Like, this is great. Cause, um, that was probably just after I like started crying when he started doing this stuff. And then I remember getting out onto the oval at lunch him coming up to me and he had palm cards. And he'd written a speech and what he'd done is actually done a parody of Kevin Rudd's sorry speech and taken it and said, like, taken the words and changed out things for being like, I'm sorry, and then insert whatever joke he had. Like, so he basically just read all the jokes back to me that he'd said throughout the year in the in the guise of uh, the Kevin Rudd sorry speech. And, like, now I look back on that, I'm like, that is sick. Like, mm. who, what kind of... 14 year old kid comes up with this like what kind of household did he grow up in 
Yeah, and he was relentless. Like that was the worst I received from from my peers. But then later on, it got more worse from teachers and that was you know I had a science teacher make a really explicit racist joke in class and to kind of direct it at me about Aboriginal people never working and being on the doll oh um and and at that point and I think it just wore me down so much and I I kind of also realized in hindsight you know I struggled a lot socially at school um and I always thought it was sort of you know I was just socially awkward or um you know I was a little bit different to kids like I never was interested in partying or whatever um but I I realize now that I kind of was on the outer because how vocal I was about my aboriginality and I think a lot of people felt uncomfortable with that um and when this teacher said this to me in class like to me in the class and I sort of lost it and like left the class and rang my dad and he came up to the school to see the principal and everything and and nothing ever happened I never got like an apology it sort of was like oh it's a misunderstanding this particular teacher has worked in a remote community before it's not racist so that that was you know it's that sort of stuff that sort of just left me deflated deflated and then you know just after the or just before the Adam Good stuff, actually, I had um, two girls who were kind of the mean girls at school write graffiti, Marley Silver sniffs petrol on something for no apparent reason. They'd admittedly written horrible things about a lot of people in my year. Mm. But I, you know, I remember saying at the time, why don't you say, oh, Marley Silver has a borrowed? Because everyone used to talk about me having a really big forehead, which I do, <laughs> but that's fine. Like, I would have copped that. Like, you know, just say that. But I don't know why they said the you know well I do know why they wanted to really hurt me and that's why they said the sniffing petrol thing and it was just that to me was sort of the last straw and I was such a great kid academically like I was the top of all my classes big nerd loved learning like really really loved it at the beginning of school and did so well and then by year 11 and 12 I just didn't want to be there I remember saying to mum like I just want to leave school I just want to leave school like I hate this I hate this sort of thing um and as much as, you know, some of it never didn't look like it was because of my Aboriginality, um, at the core of it, it kind of all stemmed from that and sort of discomforts or around me that were connected to my identity. So it's, it's crazy. And it's purely because of the area I grew up in. I think it's a very much a product of being in a very, very white area um, that allowed this kind of conversations. And because, you know, I've, I've seen other students from my year who have Asian backgrounds or different um, ethnicities who have very similar stories so you know I wasn't the only one copying it I mean any of us who were different we all copped it Um, and it was because it was okay and and people never called it out which is what we have to do yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. 100% I mean it's so upsetting to hear and couldn't agree more um, even from what growing up what I've heard and seen and witnessed as casual racism in this country it's a hundred percent here and anyone that thinks that there's no racism in this country or that that's past and we don't do that anymore is totally out of their minds and blind because they just obviously don't see and I, I find it I mean I'm sure it aggravates the hell out of you so I don't even I feel like I can't say that it, it angers me but it when people uh, white people, can think that they can decide what is racist and what's Mm. not. And, you know, back to your point of, um, you know, someone being called a racist is a bigger deal than the comments themselves is so ridiculous because it's up to the person that you know, is getting hurt at that time or, you know, how is it, how is that up to us? How is it up mm. to us what's race, racist or not? So I, I'm so glad you, you shared those stories. I mean, as much as they were 
horrible to hear. Um, mm. it, it's really important for people to realize that that stuff, like that still happens now, mm. you know, that was childhood memories, of course. But as you said, you know, you've, you witnessed things in uni and you're only 25. So that wasn't long ago. Like that's mm. things that are actually still happening. So I do yeah. hope that people are waking up to casual racism <laughs> and, and and seeing it and and just I don't know definitely pointing it out but definitely mm. knowing even in, in your own self that it's not okay mm. um but anyway <laughs> I want to talk about um in the Sydney Morning Herald you talked about allyship and you said that we we being you only make up three percent of the population in order for change we need the other 97 percent to walk with us too what does it mean for you know the other 97 percent of the population to walk mm. with you well, I will have to update that statistic. I was wrong. It's 3.3% of the population. <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, it's because around the whole surge of the Black Lives Matter thing that's happened in the last recent mm. mu- months, um, I found a lot of people asking about, you know, what does it mean to be an ally and allyship? And it, it's actually a concept that kind of feels quite new to me um, just because of the terms never been used um, in in my life for whatever reason um and I had to really think about it and um you know when we do ask people to walk alongside us um we're asking people to be in it for the long haul because I think that um especially around this this period people have been looking for a quick fix like okay let's put a band-aid on it let's you know um just fix it now and then we'll just you know, it'll be done. Uh, but, you know, reconciliation and building really good relationships and actually building an equal playing field for everyone in this country is a, it's a forever game, right? Things are always changing. There's always things um, that are changing in the public sphere and how we talk about things. I think we're seeing a, a, a particular kind of surge and transition with how we talk about um, sexuality and gender fluidity. That's something that, you know, me personally, I'm tr- always trying to learn more about mm. because it's not something that I know about. And I think that it's making me better understand the journeys that a lot of non-Indigenous people go on when they want to you know, be a part of this with me. So that's helping me be able to talk about how to be an ally, I think, which is which is good. Um, but in the everyday stuff, it is about that calling it out. And, you know, Steph, I know you said you feel like you don't, you know, you don't feel like you can say you're angry, but that's great. Like we should be angry because it's not okay. It's not okay mm-hmm. that our our kids are, are taking their own lives at 12 years old mm-hmm. a lot of the time because of racism. It's not okay that um, we make up such a massive part of the incarceration population. It's not okay that our women are some of the lowest socioeconomic um, groups in the world, um, well, at least in the country, and are you know so overrepresented in domestic violence rates and things like that. Mm-hmm. There, there's so much going on and then you know that's not even to mention how we're so disproportionately affected by the this sort of uh ways climate change is already affecting our country um with the fires and with a lot of the other stuff that's going on that's not okay and it's also a problem for everyone to take on board i think that for a little while now now i've been talking about how i think we need to stop thinking about the issues and i put that in quotation marks because there's so much more positive stuff that happens in our communities but there is a lot of stuff that we need to address that isn't okay we have to stop thinking about them as being aboriginal community issues and seeing them as australian issues because um there are a lot of correlations across the population but we should all care about this equally because it's not acceptable and it's if we fix these things and we build a brighter future for everyone, that 
positively impacts everyone. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was on a Q&A at the beginning of the year with Nova Paris, which was such an honour because I just look up to her in so many ways and her voice is so powerful and I highly recommend people just going and, like, listening to anything she's ever said. She's just amazing. Um, and I remember her saying in that because we were talking about the Australian identity that there's this misconception that when you start um, you know, adding Aboriginal perspectives in or you start working on things that have specific impacts on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, people think that it'll take away from your non-Indigenous experience or it'll take away from our society and give it to Aboriginal people and then you can't have it anymore. But that's just not the case. The case is that this will only add value to our community. As an individual, it adds value to your experience. If you can understand whose country you live on, connect with more Aboriginal people, buy from Aboriginal businesses, like that stuff is really tangible and it's Mm. um, things that you can implement in your everyday life that's a starting point. And then you do have to have tough conversations. You do have to, you know, always look out and read more. I'm always looking out and reading more and I don't know everything about, you know, my culture and community. We are a continent. There's 350 countries. Like that's really hard to ever know everything about it. And I would never claim to know what it's like to be an Aboriginal person, um, you know, in Darwin because I don't or, or remote communities or anywhere else other than my own lived experience. So I think if we all take on that same attitude that we're just learning and and be gentle to ourselves and be kind and um you know know that we're going through it together and we all it's for the better of all of us I think that's something we really have to keep in mind because I I want to in the future have a a national day of celebration that I can participate in I, I that's what I want I don't want to not be able to celebrate I think that um you know that's sometimes something that people get confused it's not about just wanting to ruin everything for everyone. It's about making it better for everyone. So it's it's a long journey and it, it's exhausting. And I think it's exhausting for anyone because, um, you know, nothing's perfect and nothing, um, you know, we all have our own things that we want to change in our own lives um, as well. So to take this on a more societal uh, level, is it's hard. Like I think we also need to um, acknowledge that, that it's not an easy thing. And, and um yeah, I'm. I have been really excited by a lot of the the stuff that I've seen, um, kind of emerge with um, the Black Lives Matter movement over the last couple of months. I know there's been criticism of things being tokenistic or things, um, you know, not being sustained or whatever. But you know, it's still. I've seen people have conversations or be vocalised about things that they didn't know before for the first time. Mm-hmm people that I've never seen talk about anything. And, and that to me, I think it, it gives other people permission to learn and to grow and to take this time to do just that, which I, I find really exciting. And um, yeah, it's, I, I just can't believe what the year we've had, you know, like it's just everything's up in the air. And I think it, it's also a product of that. I think everything that we've seen happen is because people are fed up with the norm and we don't have to keep going. We don't have to go back to what we were before COVID. We can go forward and be better and, you, you know, really uplift Aboriginal voices when it comes to this year's fire season because I just don't think we can handle another fire season mm-hmm. like what we had. I think it would completely break us as a society. On being a better ally, I always wonder, is it better to try really hard and maybe make a mistake 
but still have a voice as a white person um, and say the wrong thing, but then rectify it and apologise it and get better and, and learn? Or is it better to not say anything at all? Because I think for so long, I mean, me personally, I was so worried I was going to say the wrong thing and offend someone, which I thought could be so hurtful that I didn't use my voice. But now I'm kind of going towards the other side. I feel it's better. To, is that right? It's better to try than not try at all. I can only speak for myself and there will be people who will not agree with me. But mm. for me personally, I think it is so much better to try and fail and try again than to not do anything at all. Because there have been times where, you know, in my life, just one white person standing up and saying something, even if it wasn't the right, exactly perfect thing, it did help. It did help to just know you have that support or just know that there's that person there to go, hey, that's not cool, man, like, or whatever. Like, it's just, we, and it's like I said in, in that quote, you know, that other 97%, you guys are the ones who actually have the power to help us make the change. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing with being a minority is you don't have the numbers to make the change. And, and for the most part, you know, majority across the board everywhere, the people who have power in corporates, in government, in everything are white people. And, mm-hmm. and it, it's, that's not going to change anytime soon if we don't have those people um, in the rooms that we're not in talking about us or making note of the fact that we aren't in them and that we need to make space to have Aboriginal voices introduced into the room and, and things like that. And I I completely understand that the fear there and, and there are some people who, um, you know, will attack you if you make a, a, an error and, and that is their prerogative. And I understand it's very emotional and, and I don't blame those people. And I think that it's, um, you know, it, that's completely their own experience but um i you know i used to be a consultant um for an aboriginal communications agency and so often we'd come into these boardrooms with like very big organizations very big um brands and like sit down with like quite high up people who would be petrified to have the conversation about whatever it is that we were talking about because they knew that their company hadn't done as good as what they could be doing and they wanted to do better and i used to say to them like you know it's good that you're a little bit scared because that means you know, like you care, you care, and you are aware of the fact that there's sensitivities, and you're aware of the fact that um, you know you guys haven't been great in the past. That's okay. That's a good thing. Be a little bit scared, but there's such a bigger risk in not doing anything than taking the first step. And if you are engaging with Aboriginal people and consulting with them and having conversations about this stuff, like you're doing the right thing. And I think um, that's that's okay. Like it's just, again, like we're all learning, we're all growing. Um, I'm willing to be forgiving of people if they make errors and, and they go out of their way to learn and be better. Like I have respect for that. I think it's hard for any human being to drop their ego and go, I stuffed up let me get better like and and it's something I actively you know want to work on all the time and try and do so I mean I I never expect anyone to be perfect because I'm not either so that's just my perspective but you know I will say there will be other people who don't agree with that Thank you for sharing that. I think it's a really good point, Laws. I know of a lot of people that are in the exact same headspace as you and I'm certainly I'm I'm exactly the same so thank you 
Miley. Obviously, we've we've touched a few times on the Black Lives Movement, and we want to talk to the fact that George Floyd's death, at least you know when it hit the media and when it became a big deal, that that fell on Reconciliation Week for you. Um, as a coloured woman with a public figure, you know, people watching and listening to you all the time, how did that feel? What was that like for you during not just that week, but you know what happened from then not then on that recent time? What was it like? So <laughs> I think intense is probably the best yeah. adjective um, because Reconciliation Week is or always one of the most exhausting weeks mm. of my year um, because, you know, the two premier events of our year are kind of Reconciliation Week and NAIDOC Week. And Reconciliation Week is about the hard stuff and the work that we still need to do and um, kind of lies a lot in, in the hands of, of white organisations mm. or government bodies and things. And NAIDOC Week is sort of our celebration where we kind of that's kind of our ownership and and we just have a good time and do like balls and things and it's really beautiful and that's been pushed back obviously because of COVID so it's been sad not to be able to do that this year but um you know rec week is really tough like you know I got to the end of rec week last year feeling as exhausted as I did this year you know I remember coming home late on the Friday of um rec week and kind of just like you know, falling in bed and not getting up until midday the next day because it's just takes so much out of you. And admittedly, I'm very bad at saying no to things. So I just do everything. And, um, you know, I promised myself I was going to look after myself better this wreck <laughs> week. But, you know, it gets kicked off with finding out that Rio Tinto has blown up 40,000 year old sacred caves. And so you go, oh my God, like, come on. Mm-hmm. And Rio Tinto being a brand that is so vocal about supporting the Laura Statement from the Heart and having their big reconciliation action plans and all this stuff and it comes out during rec week and you go oh my gosh okay how do we deal with this again because a lot of people were calling me and being like can you make a comment can you make a comment sort of thing um and then you know the the video comes out of of George Floyd Mm -hmm. that was the first thing that we saw and that was incredibly you know such a violent thing to watch and I personally couldn't watch the video it it upset me too much and I think a lot of people felt the same Mm. but that being plastered everywhere and you're kind of like oh my god this is going on again and then you know suddenly there's all these incredible movements across the world people turning up for these protests which are amazing and there's that inspiration but then again it's like okay well now we're going to do one in Sydney and the Supreme Court's going to block it and then all this stuff so there's all this stuff going on and then also the reconciliation Mm -hmm. events I was already speaking at and somehow (laughs) every journalist at the ABC has my number and (laughs) was calling me, just calling and calling and calling and calling. And I was like, okay, I really I, – I did that um, that one piece with City Morning Herald mm-hmm. that you guys um, did a quote, and that was actually because the journalist was a legend and was like, look, if you've got a few sentences, you could just throw my way, just do it. And there was like a couple of other things that I did, but I really tried to stay away from media because, one, I'm not a – I think I get mislabeled as a, an activist a lot of the time and there's like connotations with that. I think that there, you know, there's a difference between being an activist and, um, you know, doing actions that are activism. Uh, I always see myself as a writer or a storyteller or a podcast host. That's what I do. Um, but, you know, I, I don't have the authority to speak on a lot of things and I don't want to overstep the mark or upset anyone. So I really had to go... At one point I had this one journalist ring me and she was like, 
you know, asked me to be on her radio show or something. And I was like, well, I'm actually not doing any media at the moment. I just, and then that was all I said. And she said, why? And I was like, hang on, I didn't actually have to tell you that. And mm. she's like, oh, well, but why? Why are you, you know, is there a reason? Is there something? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to hang up. Please delete my number. Mm. Like, it was just relentless. And I got to the day before the um, protest in Sydney, once we finally found out that it was like Supreme Court ruling was being overturned or whatever, um, and the protest was going to go ahead, I was meant to um, go and see a friend for her birthday. And I was like, you feel this like relief of like, okay, we got the protest tomorrow and there's like 20 people who've asked me if I'm going to be there. Like, again, media people who are looking for me to be there um, and all this sort of stuff. And I'm trying to organise all these things and like, do we have enough masks and do we have this and da 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 And then it gets to like 20 minutes before I have to leave to my friend's birthday and I just had a full meltdown, like just lost it. And, you know, I've, you know, t- talked about it before publicly, but um, I've d- dealt with anxiety for over a decade. I've seen multiple psychologists and, and still get mental health pro- uh, from professionals and um, and have been a lot better with managing that, but um, it, it just was too much for me. And I just suddenly felt so much pressure. And um, I think also for, you know, some of the uncertainties I had around, you know, was it okay that I was speaking at, about this thing or, you know, am I doing enough when it comes to calling out Rio Tinto for what they did? Because that only happened three days ago. And then like, how do we worry about this and blah, blah, blah. And it just was too much. And and that was really awful. But, you know, obviously like my friend didn't care. I was like, this is all going on. She's like, sleep, please, please sleep and look after yourself, which is really nice. But um, that's the, the th- that's where it puts you. You know, I think uh, you know, in the weeks after that as well, I said no to all the media. I kept saying no for probably, you know, three weeks after it and, and people kind of kept going, well, why? Like, or whatever, whatever. I'm like, yeah, well, this doesn't stop with us with the protests. Like, it doesn't stop. I, I'm, I'm talking about Aboriginal stories every single day. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing from community every single day. I talk to um, people who are upset and I... I you know, it's a beautiful thing and it's such a privilege and I would never want to change it. But people slide into our DMs when they're feeling sad and that means you end up taking on their feelings Mm -hmm. as well. And I would rather be strong enough to talk to those people who just Mm -hmm. need someone to talk to Mm -hmm. than get on it and say the same quote I said for three media outlets. So it was so hectic. I can't believe how, like, you know, time has passed from them. Like, Mm. it's just feels like all such a blur and I think so many people were in that space you know especially families of people who um, have lost people in custody because it kind of brings it all up again and then you also feel like like it's unjust because um, the names of those victims were not known like Mm -hmm. the George Floyd Mm -hmm. one and then there's Mm -hmm. like so it's just it 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 was so crazy and so exhausting but you know when I actually got to the protest it's the the best protest I've ever seen you know um not only was everyone, you know, very socially distant, it was great, and lots of masks and things like that, but there was people from all different walks of life, like girls who were, you know, look like they just walked off Bondi Beach, right, <laughs> and also, like, monks, like, robed monks walking with us and um, just all different people from all different walks of life that I've never seen come together like that, and it was very beautiful and um 
you know, very solemn and kind of exactly what we wanted to show, which is that, you know, solidarity and, and that there is this community care for these injustices. So it was, it was really, it ended up being a perfect way to kind of have that closure with it um, and also know that we'd made a statement and, and hopefully things would change from that point. So, um, yeah, it feels like a million years ago now, but, like, mm. it was so hectic. And do you think, I suppose, with time kind of having passed quite a bit, as you said, obviously at the time a lot of people shared things on Instagram, which is fantastic. I think it's better to do some... Well, I, don't, I, I think it is better to do something than nothing and, and do those things, but something that we really spoke about at Kick, we, we all sat down and we said, from now, we're not just going to share things. We're actually going to act in the background and, and that's what's really important because, it, it you know, it's great to share something, but to actually follow that through is is so important. How have you felt since um, the week? It's got like, has it? Do you feel there's still momentum? Do you feel that people have actually acted on what they said they would? I have seen some really good examples of, of action, and I think that uh, from you know conversations that I've had with with certain people, I know that there's like a lot of hard work that's being done now for things to eventually. And I know that takes time. Um, mm. I think that. I probably have more of an insight because of the consulting work I've done in the past and, and I know how big projects kind of um, take a lot of time and things like that. Um, I think that, you know, the, the, the whole black square thing and whatever, um, admittedly, you know, we posted a black square on the Titters for Titters page um, because, you know, it was about what, what it was about was drawing attention to it. And I think, you know, it, it was you know, I think the criticism of it being performative is fair, um, but it definitely, it caused a stir, which was what it was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there have been really good examples of, of people changing things and making commitments. You know, obviously a lot of big brands um, doing that when it comes to who they use as their representatives in campaigns and that sort of stuff, which is great and is um, really good for a lot of people of colour in those industries who've been fighting for positions for a long time. I think that the measure of of what change we've actually been able to um, make won't be seen until COVID's sort of wrapped up. I think that's too much of our focus at the moment, and it's rightly so. We're in the middle of a global pandemic, of course. Um, But I, I think we can't really see... You know, I see, you know, individual moments of really great stuff. But what has actually changed, I think January 26th next year will be a really good marking point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and seeing if certain brands or, yeah, companies who, who usually do something on the day to celebrate Australia Day, whether they change that or they don't acknowledge mm-hmm. it or whatever, will be interesting. Mm-hmm. And then once COVID dust sort of settles, um, we'll be able to see what what's actually happening. I think particularly in the corporate space is really interesting for me. Um, Um, because, you know, as we saw with sort of the um, equal marriage vote, corporate Australia has the most, like a massive influence on what happens in politics. And um, that's why they can, that can be the space that we um, sort of, you know, infiltrate, for lack of a better word, um, to make these changes happen because then government listens. So I'm I'm really interested to see what happens there and... um, I'm hopeful. I'm definitely optimistic about it because, you know, none of us had seen this before. And then, like I said, it's a big shift. This is a paradigm shift because of we've, the world's never faced anything like this. So hopefully it's for the best. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you there. Want to say congrats on your new podcast. Uh, well, it's, you know, a few months old now, but I know you were a podcast host with the Mamma Mia show and now you've got your own. That's so exciting. I've listened to a few episodes and in between meetings today, I'm listening to your latest one, which I'm enjoying. So I'm like looking forward to finishing <laughs> it off. Um, but I found it so insightful, you know, sharing others' stories and the fact that, you know, it's Aboriginal owned, led and recorded and all your guests. And it, it's just really incredible how you're sharing other people's stories and we recommend everyone to go and listen to those stories but what what does it mean to you to have that podcast I love it it's honestly my my favorite thing I get to do now um because I am a bit of a control freak and I'm not ashamed to admit it um now I have all my hands over everything and um it was my isolation project like I I had you know spoken with Mamma Mia after the end of season two and been so grateful for them to even introduce me to like what podcasting Mm. was last year Um, and they also just helped us really like get out there as a name because they're obviously more people um see them um but you know I always wanted to be able to do it by myself and um have full ownership over the the IP and and everything like that and um it it meant like to start from scratch was really cool because now I really understand what the you know the purpose of a podcast is and what it should look like and sound like and whatever um and because everyone was at home I, I sent out messages to like, you know, lots of people that I really wanted to get on the show thinking that most of them would say, oh, I'm busy or no. And everyone was at home. So I spent like the two weeks just recording, recording, recording. I had this massive backlog. I'm only now just up to like new records because mm-hmm. it's, and we've just done 11 episodes, but um, it's, it's so great because being at home and I think again, being being able to do it like we're doing it right now people are just more comfortable and and they want to share more and um the stories that I've got to hear are just amazing like and they're you know the first couple of episodes were with people that um I know personally and have been inspired by for a long time which to me is really special because you kind of um I think another thing of being able to step out on my own like this is I didn't have to worry about having high profile guests um I wanted to be able to bring names into the space that people wouldn't know um because Mm. that's that's really cool and and they had um amazing things that a lot of people need to hear um yeah I know Steph you shared on your story my first episode with Isaiah um who is a, a really good friend of mine and is someone that um you know it's just I, I can't talk enough about because he's he just does such incredible work and and those sorts of stories and uh, all the all the people I've spoken to with probably the exception of Nakia Louie and Miranda Tapsell have gained so much from from getting their story out there and, and having people hear from them so um yeah I, I really love it I, I just love talking to people I love hearing their stories it's um mm. yeah I feel such so honored to to have a lot of them be so vulnerable and and um share so much about themselves like it's it's amazing some of the the things that are going on and I think it's um going back to my point about how you know I like to to not focus too much on the fact that there are issues in our community um the flip side to that is the amazing people who are working on them so it's Mm. it's really cool I'm not slowing down anytime soon um and there's kind of not having any kind of set way or or people being like well it has to have this included in it or it needs to work like that has been cool because I can just kind of experiment and and see what works and what doesn't so creatively it's really fun 
And I think it's a true testament to you as well as an interviewer and just a person that you make people feel so comfortable. You you are so amazing at storytelling. I think, you know, you can sit down and and try and get someone to tell their story, but to actually get into it and make them feel comfortable is really hard to do. And and you're so good at it. Thank you. (laughs) And with all of this in mind, we would love to know what you are most proud of. I'm just... I'm so proud of, I think that, you know, 15-year-old Marley would would be really proud of, of what I've done. I think that at that time in my life, I was kind of so focused on just surviving that mm. I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, some days you, you never thought you'd see the other side of it. And I, you know, am just... I'm, I'm so proud of the people I've been able to connect to and the the ways I've helped other little girls who are like me feel good about themselves. And um, actually in my book, um, the sort of end of the book, my conclusion um, tells the story of how at the beginning of the year um, I was up on the Gold Coast at uh, the NRL Indigenous All-Stars game because uh, my sister was playing in a game before it and um there was this like leadership camp there that happens every year in conjunction with the game and I was actually on the first ever one when I was 15 and this was like the 10th year and I saw these kids kind of sit next to us in the stadium and recognize they were in that leadership thing and I kind of just looked at it and made a comment to my mom like oh hey that was me 10 years ago (laughs) and the next thing I know I got tapped on the shoulder and it was three little girls from and I say little girls, they were 15, but, you know, everyone, <laughs> you know, little to me. Um, and they tapped me on the shoulder and, and asked me if I was Marley Silver from Titters for Titters. And I, you know, nearly, nearly died. And I, <laughs> I kind of said, I am. Um, but, yeah, and they, they just said that they loved what I did and um, really looked up to me and, and the page made them feel really proud of who they are and then asked me for a photo and I kind of must have looked a little bit rude to them after it because I was like quite quickly put my sunglasses on and sat down because I was crying um, because, you know, to me, I, I think being able to see what the impact you have in, in real life like that mm. is really, you go, oh, man, like that's oh, what boy. it means to people and, and I wrote about that at the end of my book because... It was this full circle moment where I essentially did get to talk to my younger self and be able to to show her that she's not alone in that journey and that there's so much for her to to be proud of and you do have a lot of strength and um you know a lot of beauty I think especially for for young girls that's a thing we we get told we really need to um stress about and and beauty comes in lots of different forms not just a physical thing and um being able to show those girls you know what what life is really like and and what you can achieve is is such a great privilege it's such a great privilege and um yeah I'm pretty damn proud I wrote a book too because that was probably (laughs) the only thing I've always said I wanted to do um you know I I I never thought I thought I'd have to self-publish and be much older than I am (laughs) but um yeah it's there's so much for me to be proud of and um, I'm also really proud that I make my family proud because they're the reason I'm able to do what I do. So, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wild <laughs> and it's, you know, we've only been doing this for 18 months, titters for titters. Like it feels – I can't even remember what my life was before that, you know, but it's – it's um, if we just get to keep talking to amazing women every day, I'm pretty happy. 
Oh, that's so special. And it's so you it's so nice to hear you be so proud of yourself mm-hmm. on so many different levels because you really should be. And um, you know, we're we're just so honored to even get to chat to you today and thank you so much for being so open and raw and talking about your past and, and, and even educating. It's it's really important and I encourage everyone to go listen to your podcast. We'll pop a link and details in our show notes and good luck with everything with the book. It is absolutely so exciting. Couldn't congratulate you enough. Can't wait to read it ourselves. And yeah, again, thank you so much for coming on to the Keep Pod. Thanks for having me. It is such a pleasure to chat and it's probably obvious that I I could talk underwater. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to that conversation. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. We'll pop Marley's details in our show notes, guys. Just a friendly reminder that we have got our Are You OK Day fun run coming up this Sunday the 6th. So if you'd like to join us, we'll be popping more information on that on our socials, which is at Keep It Cleaner. So you can keep an eye for more detail there. But make sure you tag us if you are going to join in. We're really excited about it. And we can't wait to see all of you get active together in raising funds for such an important cause. If you would like to learn more about keep it cleaner you can head to our website www.keepitcleaner.com.au and we are laura and steph that's laura.henshaw and steph claire smith on instagram thanks for listening guys bye